This is Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Wow, that was a really great welcome. You guys are so hospitable down here in Tucson. I always knew that about you guys. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Tyler Johnson, and my title, which truth be told, titles mean absolutely nothing, but Redemption Church is a multi-congregational church. We have 10 congregations throughout the state of Arizona, and my role is the lead pastor of Redemption Arizona. There's lead pastors and uh, teams of leaders that we call elders in every single congregation. And so my job is just to kind of keep us working in synergy together. Um, the title means nothing to elevate anybody on a platform or a pedestal. I have no interest in that, uh, but that's what I do. So today we are carrying on in our sermon on the Mount series, which all of Redemption Church is in, and we are going to be in the passage that was just read, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. So if you have a Bible or need a Bible, uh, let somebody know or take the one you have and open it or open up an app on a mobile device, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Uh, before we get into it, let's pray. Father, we come before you believing that you are a God who hears and a God who aspires and desires to be with us far more than we aspire and desire to be with you. And God, we come in with many questions. Uh, God, not many of us sitting in here want to play a game when it comes to faith. And so, Lord, if this isn't real, um, we'd like to know that. But we believe it is, and that's why we're here so God, uh, reveal yourself to us in the realness of real life. God, make yourself concrete to us. Speak to us exactly where we are. God, is the one teaching this this morning, I admit to you, I have no idea where everybody's at that sits in this room, but I trust that you are and your word is living. It's not a dead word, but a living word, so I pray that it would speak specifically to all of us who are in this room today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. There was a man who was a little bit older than C.S. Lewis, um, but he was a contemporary, he lived at the same time. Lewis really esteemed him. His name was G.K. Chesterton. Anybody in here, raise your hand if you've ever heard of G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton has a quote that I really, um, really enjoy, and I share it with people often, and I seek to apply it to myself often. And Chesterton said this, Christianity by which he meant following Jesus. Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found, found difficult and left untried. Let me say that again because this is a really good quote. He says this, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. 
Now, there are people in this room, including myself, who've lived into this thing called Christianity that we think we've lived into it, and we've gone, tried it, doesn't work. Chesterton says, no, 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 you're wrong. You butted up against a wall, you found it difficult, and you left it there and didn't actually try it. Now, the words of Jesus are not meant to just be heard or to just be spoken. They're meant to be practiced. In this Sermon on the Mount, he finishes the sermon with this image in verse 24. He's speaking about building a house. And he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise one who builds their house on a rock. The premise is, if you hear these words of his and don't put them into practice, you are like the foolish person who builds a house on sand. So when the storms come, your house goes away. But if you're wise, you hear these words and do them. You put them into practice. Then, and only then, are you wise. So Jesus doesn't come just speaking hallmark words, like warm, fuzzy words. Oh, that's nice. That makes me feel kind of good on a Sunday morning or early in the morning when I read something. He says, no, I'm giving you words that you would do them. His brother James picks up this idea very specifically in James 1.22, and he in fact says that merely hearing Jesus' words and doing nothing with them is actually deception. You will be deceived because you'll think you're okay by hearing the word. And he says, let us not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We here at Redemption Church want to actually practice that which we say we believe. We actually want to follow the one whom we say we follow. So the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to put these things into practice. And today, Jesus tells all of us to be seekers, to be petitioners, to be askers. And he tells us to petition, which means to go before and make bold requests of somebody in authority. Obviously here, the somebody in authority is God. And he's saying, we are going to petition in such a way that's anchored. We aren't going to petition in a way that's unrooted. We aren't going to petition this way one day and this way another day. We are going to petition in an anchored way. So here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to petition anchored. Anchored petition. It's anchored in abundance, anchored in goodness, and anchored in supremacy. So let's go at this passage. Matthew 7, starting in verse 7. Jesus says this. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened to you. Anchored in the abundance of God. Anchored in abundance. The abundance of God. Hear me on this. There's two ways to view the world. You can view the world with a scarcity mentality or you can view the world with an abundance mentality. You can view the world as there's only so much, I better get mine so if somebody else doesn't get my stuff. Or you can live in such a way to go, no, there really is plenty. Life really is abundant. 
There really are gifts everywhere, and we can go towards it. The way of God is the way of abundance. God is calling us all the time toward an abundance mentality. And the way in which we pray, that's what we're going to talk about today, petition, the way in which we ask of God for things reveals whether or not we're living in a scarcity mentality or whether or not we're living in an abundance mentality. Just after my wife and I were married, we're now married with four kids and a decade and a half into marriage, but right after we were married, we had a relative who had done some work with a cruise liner, and they opened up an opportunity for us to go on a free Alaskan cruise. Now, when you're newlyweds and you're a pastor, you don't get a chance to go on Alaskan cruises very much, truth be told. So we took the opportunity. We didn't have kids at the time, but we went, and there's food everywhere. If you've never been on one of those cruises, it's ridiculous. I mean, it is idolatry to the 98th power. It's gluttony, and I mean, it's, it's absurd, but awesome. Um, <laughs> So we're on this, and about the fourth night, we're sitting on the back of the boat. I don't remember what that, the back of the boat is called. We'll call it the bow for now. That might be the front, but neither here nor there. We're sitting on the back of the boat, and we're looking, and Alaska's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's like the Rocky Mountains meet the ocean right in front of your face with green grass and glaciers and everything else. So we're sitting out there, and some people have been talking that they saw marine life um, in the midst of the ocean. And so we decide to just lounge back, and we're sitting in these lounge chairs, looking off the boat, looking at the ocean, and it's going this way. And my wife turns to me, and she's like, I want to see a whale. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you're not going to see a whale. <laughs> like, it's just not going to. So she keeps going, I want to see a whale. And I'm thinking to myself, like, hey, babe, this isn't Disneyland. Like, I mean, we're not going to see a whale. So she says to me, she has the gall to say to me, Tyler, pray that I see a whale. Like, are you, like, are you serious right now? Really? Like, you're going to ask me, like, can we just enjoy our evening and not be ridiculous? You're going to actually ask me to pray that you see a whale. She's like, you of little faith, right? And I'm thinking, <laughs> she's looking at me like, you're supposed to be the pastor. Like, lead me in faith, right? So I'm sitting there, honestly, I am so cynical. I'm like, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> so at that moment, just truth be told, what mentality am I living out of? There's not, there's not that many whales in the sea, like, and certainly we're not going to see one and you're honestly going to ask me to ask the God of the universe. Like, he's got more important things to do than let you see a whale, Haley, right? You're going to honestly ask me to pray to see a whale. She won't let me off. Nudge, nudge, pray. So here's my prayer. Lord, I know you're big. My wife wants to see a whale. Would you let us see a whale? Amen. As sure as I'm standing in front of you right now, <laughs> this whale jumps, and not like surfaces, I am not kidding you, jumps, <laughs> hits, the, water goes everywhere, and I'm literally like, oh, good God, right? And she's punching me, boom, <laughs> boom, see, you slug, like, pray. And I'm sitting there the whole time like, there is no way on God's green earth that just happened. And I swear to you, that was God looking at me going, you really are a slug. Like, listen to your wife. Pray, ask, seek, knock. But we struggle with that, right? 
we live in this myth of scarcity. Let me just walk you through some realities of the Bible. The myth of scarcity. Who in the Bible lived into this myth of scarcity, which is not the view of God? Pharaoh did. Pharaoh said there's only so much. These Jews are becoming too large, too big. They're going to end up taking us over. Herod, King Herod, there's another king? People are saying there's another king? Find him, kill him, kill all the firstborn children to try to do him in. Myth of scarcity. Our politicians right now are living out of a myth of scarcity. Well, if those people come here, well, if we don't get enough, well, if we don't do this, a fundamental myth of scarcity a myth of scarcity leads to a view that others are a threat to us. The myth of scarcity leads to cynicism. It leads to anxiety. I'm not going to be provided for. It leads to fear. It leads to greed, and it leads to control. You want to know why God is anti a myth? That's a falsehood of scarcity. But God tells us to live out of this liturgy of abundance. If you don't know the word liturgy, just before this service, we sat down here and they said, let us run through the liturgy. That's every week we begin to do rhythms and routines of what happens over and over and over again, that we are shaped by these paths of what happens over and over again. A liturgy, then you could say, is when Jesus says, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. It's a liturgy. He causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike. There's a theme throughout all of Scripture that God is a God of abundance, that there's a generous God who owns it all, the cattle on a thousand hills. And he's not just a God who owns it all. He's a God who's passionate about giving things and providing. And God, in fact, promises to provide. The Bible teaches us that God is in control. Sometimes... Sometimes, question mark? No, all the time. That God is in control all the time. That God is eager and able to save, to deliver, to give, and to bless. That God has a lot and he really likes to give. That's what the scriptures teach us. Therefore, the worldview of the people, Old and New Testament, who follow this God, is you watch, the worldview of the people of God is this. All of life is a gift. God's the generous giver. All of life is gift. Therefore, we are incredibly grateful people. Gift, gratitude, we are thanking God all the time. We are recognizing the simplest things to the biggest things as gift. And therefore, we are ourselves incredibly generous because we live into and receive from a God who's generous. We seek to follow him. Therefore, we are generous. We are passionate about justice. We are passionate about inclusion, of inviting people into the one true God that they might receive the life that he is ever giving out of his very self. Gordon Spikeman who's a scholar, says this, God's creation, everything that exists, is evidence of the caring hand of the creator reaching out to secure the well-being of his creatures. God's creation is this picture of a father extending a universe full of blessing 
to his children. Now you hear that quote, and if you've lived in here and you have ever been exposed to people who don't have that much, if you've ever been exposed to people who are hungry and thirsty, or you've ever encountered somebody in the military who's come back with extreme PTSD, or you've ever lived with somebody that has extreme depression, you can read a quote like this, God's creation is evidence of the caring hand of his creator, and go, really? Really? Or is this just, you're a preacher, pie in the sky type stuff? You know what's so funny about that, though? There's all this study happening right now in the medical world, and the chief of all the sciences right now is what they call neuroscience. It's brain science. So they're studying all this stuff about the brain. And in the midst of the study on the brain, they're getting into all of these ways they can help people. So they're studying, how do we help people that are really, really depressed? How do we help vets with extreme PTSD? How do we help trauma survivors? You want to know one of the primary things they're calling both trauma survivors, people with PTSD, people with extreme anxiety or extreme depression to do? It's this movement right now called mindfulness. You know what mindfulness is? We just studied about it in Matthew chapter 6. It's live in the moment. So literally, they'll walk people through and get them to smell smells that they typically walk right past. Smell the leaves of this tree. Touch the bark. Like, stop long enough and look at it. Slow down, close your eyes, and listen. Heighten your senses. Listen. What are the sounds that you hear? What are the feelings that you feel? You know what they're in the end doing? They're rooting us in the midst of God's creation to go, there's gifts all around you. Whether you have little or whether you have much. And what begins to happen is anxiety begins to dissipate, maybe not entirely go away. Depression, things get just a little bit lighter, and all of a sudden you're going, wow. The world really is chocked full of the glory of God and therefore the gifts of God. So in the end, this really is true. God really is giving to us at all times and in all places. But then we have to ask this question. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Like, listen to these promises. And truth be told, if you've lived very long, there's no way you don't sit there and go, really? Like, ask and it will be given. He goes on and emphasizes again, for everyone who asks receives. For everyone who seeks finds. For everyone who knocks, it will be opened. Now, again, if you're sitting there and you're just honest with the Bible, you're going, garbage. <laughs> That's not true. I've asked before and I didn't receive. I've sought before and I didn't find. Right? I've knocked and at times extremely loudly. No doors were open to me. Right? Some of you guys are going, I'm trying to find a job. I'm knocking on all kinds of doors. Right? Nothing's opening up for me. So what does that actually mean? <laughs> or is God just full of it and lying to us. Tim Keller says this, in short, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. Now listen to that again. He says, in short, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. Here's the premise of this is truth be told, I don't even know if I want everything I ask for, right? I don't know if I want him to give him me everything I seek after at every given moment. 
I don't know if I want him to open every door that I knock upon because truth be told, I don't trust my intentions that much. Right? There's a lot of moments I've really, really wanted something. Right? Truth be told, there are moments pre-marriage that I really, really wanted this woman that I now go, thank God that God didn't give me that person. Right? Or there are moments, there are doors I've knocked upon like crazy. And in the end, later on down the road, sometimes God gives you the ability to see behind that door and you're like, thanks be to Jesus that he didn't open that door. Right? God's concern for you and I is bigger than our concern for ourselves. He's more committed to your good than you are even committed to your good. That's true. Now, that quote by Keller, he will always give you everything you'd ask or everything you would have asked for if you knew everything he knew. I love that quote, and yet I still feel at times like it doesn't fully, fully satisfy me. Now, here's, let, let me just tell you something. God's God and I'm not. He doesn't have to always satisfy me. But I'm telling you, today is the fifth anniversary of my mother-in-law's death of a seven-year battle with a brutal, brutal cancer. And it was a brutal battle. Five years ago today, she ended a seven-year battle. My wife loves her mother. I tell my kids all the time and my wife, don't you ever talk about her in the past tense. We're Christians and we believe we don't die. <laughs> right? So don't talk about her in the past tense, but we miss her like crazy. And I'm telling you, even when I read that quote, I read it to my wife last night, and she's like, I get it, I get it, but what did he know that I didn't know? What did he know that I didn't know? Right? And you have to remind yourself, here's where I, in the end, end. Because I don't even want to end in, well, the mysteries with God. That's true, but I'm going to end with this, guys. Sin's still real. It is, and if you sit in this room and you go, I don't like the word sin, I don't know if I even buy it, there's all kinds of things in this life, whatever you believe that you hate and dislike and you know is not good for you or for humanity, you better have an answer to that. I feel like I do in submitting to the scriptures, and it's humanity's rebellion against God and the reality that sin's true, okay? Sin is still sin, right? So I sit there and go, death is still in the world because of sin, fundamentally, and yet God's still good. At the end of the day, I'm either going to go down cynical and going, I don't even know if I believe God exists. And truth be told, guys, I do. And I can give you some rational reasons for it. I think creation speaks to it. I believe it. But at the end of the day, I believe because I think God's holding on to me and giving me belief. God is still good. God is still God, and I am not. And I can try to figure it all out, and I never will. I can try to answer all the questions, and I never will. I can try to make God into a God of my own making, and you can't have a relationship with a God like that. Or I can surrender and go, sin's still real, God's still good, God's still God, and I'm not. I'm willing to land there. So here's the issue in this asking, seeking, knocking. The issue is so, not so much will you get what you ask for, but the point of the passage is why are you not asking? Why are you not seeking? Why are you not knocking? In the end, do you really think God's too busy for you? Because he's not. Do you really think God's a miser and he's holding out on you? Because he's not. God's good and he wants to give you good, good gifts. So what he's saying to you is pound the door, scream the requests, 
Run in seeking towards him. And you will, in the end, find, because God's a giver. He asks us to seek because he wants to be found. He asks us to ask because he loves to give. He asks us to knock because he wants to dine with us. He wants to invite you in. He wants to come in and dine with you. This petition is anchored in the abundance of God. Here's the next thing, anchored in the goodness of God. Verses 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Anchored in the goodness of God. God is not bad. He's good and trustworthy. Okay? Really simple. The God that's spoken of in the Bible, whom we follow, is not bad, he's good, and he's trustworthy. So this is a little like this. When you take kids at times to Disneyland, um, depending upon their ages, not really depending upon their ages, but you have these certain moments where young kids will walk in, they love Donald Duck, they love Mickey Mouse, they love Goofy, but then at the front, there's Goofy, there's Mickey, there's Donald, and they're like, ah! And they turn and go, and it's like, they're gonna kill me! That duck's bill's going to eat me, right? And you're going, I swear, like, you sleep with a little Minnie Mouse, right? You like Donald Duck. So you sit there with him, and you're like, no, no, no. They're really nice. They're really comfy. They're really cozy. They're funny. Like, go up, and they'll want to give you a hug and take a picture with you. And they're like, no, no. But you're trying to convince them, right? As they get a little older, there's these moments where they're like, Disneyland, this will be amazing. And then you get to a ride, and they're like, I'm not going on that. I'm not, and you're like, no, no, no. And you do it again. I'm trying to tell you. Try it. You'll see. You'll see. Come on. No, no, no. I'll never go on it. And they're like, and then no way, no way. Finally, like you drag them and you get them on. They go through the ride and then they get off and they're like, let's do it again. Right? And you're like, where was this before? Well, God does that. In the Psalms, he talks to us like this. Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that God is is good. Taste and see that God is good and blessed. That's happy is the one who takes refuge in him. So again, this is not pie in the sky, right? He's saying, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. What do you take refuge from? Hard things, bad things. This isn't pie in the sky acting like life is Disneyland. It's not, right? Life is not Disneyland. Life's hard. So, but if you take refuge in him and you begin to move into what G.K. Chesterton said and actually try out following Jesus, not just drop it when it's hard, you will taste and you will see that God is good. Like Splash Mountain, right? God's good. It's good. Taste and see that God is good. God does not, remember this teaching that we just went through last week on don't judge? You know, why is it that you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you forget the fact that there's a plank, a redwood forest in your own, right? God doesn't have a plank or a speck in his eye. He's God. He sees clearly. He's really good. He's not bad. He's good. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's one thing. God is so good that you can actually delight in him. 
not just go, man, I got my religion checked. I got my faith. Yeah, I have that faith thing. No, no, no. Like really to the point of no, this is like really, I can actually delight in him. He's that good. And if you've never tasted deep enough of him to delight in him and see that he's good, go further. I promise you, he's good. Not only that, can he be delighted in? Here's the other thing. He will give you the desires of your heart. You know what that means? Look at me right here. This is so important. The God of the universe who spoke the world into existence, who upholds it by the word of his power, knows your heart. This means he's not absentee. You're not sitting there going, but you don't really know me. I'm telling you, he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the desires of your heart. When you delight in him, he wants to give you the desires of your heart. I one time had a guy and I said to him, man, it doesn't feel like my life's going the way I want it to. And Psalm 37.4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. He said, if those aren't God's desires for you, he'll change your heart. And that actually happened. And in the end, it enabled me to delight in him more and to understand what real delight actually is. Psalm 84.11, the Lord is sun and shield. I love that, right? There's a moment you're just sitting there going, I just need to be warmed because I feel very frigid, at times frozen, right? God, the Lord is sun and shield. We want to be protected. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let's just start there. What is walk uprightly? It's those who ask, seek, and knock, who pursue him. As you can't pursue Jesus and walk in unrighteousness. It's impossible. Right? If you ever hear the word repentance, repentance just means sin's that way, Jesus is this way, go to Jesus. Don't make repentance harder than that. Like, just go to Jesus. If you follow Jesus... If you seek him, if you're asking him, if you're petitioning him, if you're knocking on his door, you're walking uprightly, okay? The one who walks uprightly, no good thing does he withhold from that person. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he's holding on to a bunch of things when a bunch of other people don't believe in are like, I don't want you. The point is, he is goodness. He is life. He doesn't withhold when you pursue him. If you decide to go the other way, you don't get good things because you go away from him. It's not that he's a miser to those people. He doesn't withhold good things from those who pursue him. And then look at this. The Lord bestows. Here's all that means. He's a giver. He gives good things. He doesn't withhold them from those who ask. Therefore, ask, seek, knock. James 1, 16 through 17. Every good and precious gift comes down from the Father of lights. Bottom line, Redemption Tucson. Bottom line, every person who sits in this room Here's what this passage is telling us. God is a good father. Let him know where you're at. Let him know how you feel. Let him know what you want. But what if where I'm at's really, really bad? Right? Like, what if that's where I'm at? It's, it's just bad. What does he do then? This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we don't follow a God, he says, a high priest, the one who represents us to God and represents God to us, that's Jesus. We don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us in our weaknesses. Like, you know those moments you just, like, I just want to be 
understood, and I want to know that when I stink, somebody's still there. In a good marriage, let me just tell you this, those who are married and those who are not married, in a good marriage, the best part of a good marriage is that both people know the other one stinks, right? And you know you stink. And the best part of a good marriage is it's like we both stink and nobody's going anywhere. Not only that, not just like, oh, nobody's going anywhere, like I can't go anywhere. It's like literally in a good marriage, you're like, where else would I go? I love you. Like I have nowhere, I have nowhere else I want to go. I love you. That's the best part. And that allows you to sit with somebody in a, this is true of real friendship too. This is true of great families. This is true of great friends is that you sit there and you know all the stuff and somebody can sit there with you and not sit on a pedestal and be like, oh, you. Like, oh, yeah, you, you messed up again. But they sit there and they're like, I know. They empathize, like, I'm here. I know. He says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize or empathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here's what that means. When your heart is ripped apart, shattered and broken, when you have all the questions in the world, when you feel like the biggest puke, we don't have a God who doesn't understand. We have a God who understands, who can sympathize with us, who can empathize with us, and yet he didn't sin, which means the temptation for him was stronger than it was for you and I. And yet he stays with us. When his our heart cords are strong and broken. His are. That's what this is saying. So what do we do then if that's the God we have? When it's really, really bad and he's saying, bring it before him, ask him, seek him, knock on his door. What do we then do if it's really bad? Well, we have a God who sympathizes and empathizes. And then the author of the book of Hebrews says this right after. Let us then with confidence, not with trepidation, not with I'm so bad, not with I'll never be accepted, not with will he deliver, but let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Folks, let me just say this. If you're sitting in this room and you go, I don't even believe in God and I don't even believe in Christianity, let me just tell you this. If you explore faith, you want a God like that. You want a God like that a God that understands your mess and is saying to you, come. When you're weary and heavy laden, when you need grace and you need mercy, when you are in need, come to me and I'll meet your need. You want a God like that. And for those of us who do follow, we have a God like that who's the only one true God. That's why we draw near to him. Here's the last thing. It was anchored in abundance, anchored in God's goodness, and then these petitions are to be anchored in supremacy, anchored in the supremacy of God. There are so many things that we want. There's so many things we aspire to. There's so much we feel like would deliver us. But in the end, the Bible over and over and over again says Jesus is better. Over and over and over again. And if you get Jesus, we just said this in the Sermon on the Mount, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. What your heart is ultimately after is not fulfilled in the getting of that thing unless that thing is God. There's nothing you and I were made by and for but Jesus, Colossians tells us. That's true of every human being. He's supreme. He's better. 
And he goes, supreme, supremacy. That sounds like a big word. It's really easy. You ever been to Taco Bell? You have a burrito, then you have a burrito supreme. You have nachos, then you have nachos supreme. I think Taco Bell's absolutely disgusting, but it gets the point across, right? That means everything just gets better. You get guacamole, you get sour cream. If you don't like sour cream, you get something else. You get cheese. It's just better. A supreme meal is better than a normal meal. We are anchored in these petitions in supremacy, which means this. He is saying to us over and over and over again, don't go for that which is okay. Don't even go for that which is good. Go after that which is great. Go after the best thing. Go after the thing you were made by and for. Go after God. So when we petition, he's saying, I'm absolutely concerned with your provision. Ask about it. Seek about it. Knock about it. Don't say now those things aren't important. They're absolutely important. For I'm like a father. Do good fathers like to give good gifts to their children? Now, the recognition here is we know in a sinful world, there's all kinds of us in here who have not had great fathers. In fact, some of us really bad fathers. I don't have time to break this down entirely, but God is saying he is a good father. But even a good father on earth, if they know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more, and they're evil, they're sinful to a level, how much more will the heavenly father give to those who ask him about good things? But what's the ultimate thing? The fascinating thing is the parallel passage to this in Luke chapter 11 says this. It's going to sound very similar, but it ends different. It says this, and I tell you, verse 9, Luke 11, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish instead of a fish, gives him a serpent? This sounds really similar, right? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to good give good gifts to your children, Matthew says, the one we're in, how much more will the heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask. Luke says this, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Think about that. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let me ask you this. Let me ask you these three questions. What are you asking for? Be honest with yourself because we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. What are you asking for? What are you seeking after truly? What doors are you knocking on? Here's what God's saying to you. None of those are bad in and of themselves, likely, unless you're really sinfully motivated, which could be true, so evaluate that. But if you're after things and you're like, they're not bad things, but here's what he's saying to you. Knock even harder. Plead even louder. Ask even more frequently. Seek even harder after the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you this, not as a means to guilt you, so if you feel guilt, say, get behind me, Satan. Truthfully, when was the last time you asked God for the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? Well, the Spirit of God, in simple terms, is always to draw us to Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, Jesus is the one who said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the one, Colossians said, we said this already, we're made by and for. Jesus Christ is the means to your true humanity. Jesus Christ is the means to the abundant life he came to give. Jesus Christ is reality, folks. 
He is the key to all of human life, your life, my life, the entire world. The Spirit of God is the glue that drives you. It's the motivator, the engine that drives you, and the glue that keeps you in Christ. So what does he mean when he says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's saying, how much more will I give of myself to those who ask me? Folks, I'm telling you, I wish we could do seminars, two of them today, to just tell you, there is nothing better, nothing better than God himself. You can draw, feast, and feed on Jesus himself. That's the very thing we celebrate every week is this promise that we can feed upon Christ himself. The one whom we were made by and for. So ask, seek, and knock. Let me pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us in Christ. God, I pray more than anything, more than anything in the world that Redemption Church and Redemption Tucson would be an asking people, that we would be a people who seek hard, who knock and pound and persist. God, that we would be a people who live out of an abundance mentality because you are a God of abundance, who love goodness because you are a good, good God and who know in the end Jesus Christ and God alone is supreme. God, let us taste and see that you are good today, right now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.